Thank you for tuning in to our message here at Catalyst Church. We're excited that you're with us. Stay tuned at the end to find out more ways that you can connect with us. We hope you enjoy the message. God is good, you guys. So we are in a series called The Life of a Jesus Follower. We're ending it now. Um, And honestly, I think Manny kind of ended it last week. He did a pretty good job (laughs) with his uh, Share the Gospel message and I almost feel like, man, what am I supposed to do now? You you did a great job ending it, so now I have to follow up. I guess some additional uh, tips and tricks, if you would. But I'm going to start like this. Um, All peoples are sinners, right? Everybody's a sinner. And because of that, we all deserve to be separated from God eternally. However, the gift of God is eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ, right? The gift of God is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ, right? So he had a plan to restore us, to restore this relationship that was severed when sin entered the world. What's the plan? Coming as a man, Jesus, living a perfect life, dying to pay the penalty for that sin, but then not just dying, raising again after the third day, again, conquering death, conquering the grave. And all we have to do, the Bible says in John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What must I do to be saved? The uh, Corinthian jailer said to, uh, who was it, Peter? Said that right? Paul, forgive me. Thank you. Said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love it. Without the resurrection, you know, it would have been... um, another good man that died, and there's no power, and we have no hope, but he rose. He rose. So we have hope. (laughs) We have power. We trust in him, and we reap the benefits. I love it. So the message from last week, um, we've been talking about, we've been talking about in the series, abiding, connecting, and sharing, right? That's the life of a Jesus follower. Relationship with God, relationship with with our spiritual family and relationship with the outside world. Jesus demonstrated that in those three key relationships, right? So once again, abide, right? That's Jesus's relationship with the Father. Thank you, Josh. Connect. That's Jesus's relationship with There we go. Other believers, spiritual family if you will. And then share. That's the relationship with the world. Amen. Thanks for following along. Relationship with the Father. Like I said, John 3, 16, Jesus said eternal life is here, right? He says, um, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. In John 17, um, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to just make it plain. This is eternal life that they know you, Father, and that they believe in me and know me, the one that you sent. Hmm. That they know you. Not just know about you, but that they know you. We're talking relationship, right? I can have a, a knowledge of a lot of things, a lot of people. I know a lot of people, but I don't have a relationship with a lot of people. I think there's a difference there. I don't want to um, miss that. I don't want to downplay that. I can 
have a bachelor's degree, but if I go apply for a job, I may not get the job because I don't have any, what? Experience. Experience or invested time, right? I can read the Bible. <laughs> I can be baptized every day of my life, take communion all the time, and just know these things. But that doesn't save me. That's not my relationship with God. Investing in my relationship, investing time with God is more than just doing things. And that's part of why the, uh, one of the, the taglines, if you will, that Manny keeps saying, is that our relationship with Jesus is not religion. It's just not our, our duties. It's real time invested. But that's relationship with the Father, right? We abide with him. We have a relationship with our spiritual family. For Jesus, this was the disciples. He had hundreds of disciples, actually. But we, all, we often focus on the 12 apostles. And then you can narrow, narrow it down even a little bit more to uh, Peter, James, and John, if you would. It's kind of like the inner circle, if you will, right? They got to witness him on the mountain where he was transfigured. That was his connect relationship or relationships. He also had a relationship with his non-spiritual family, and that's to share. And that's kind of what I'm going to um, talk about today, right? These are people who are not a part of the body of Christ. Um, the relationships there are just different than the first two. Manny did a really good job, I think, last week of, of, of filling us in with that. Um, I'm just going to share, like I said, some additional things today that, um, that we can use to share. So the roadmap, the roadmap from this morning is going to be pretty short. What did Jesus do? And then, I'm not Jesus, and Jesus is not me, so what do I do? And then lastly, how do you let your light shine? How do you let your light shine? You guys ready? All right, let's roll. What did Jesus do? <laughs> we were challenged last week to find or to think about, about three people that Manny said, um, pray, ask God to put about three people on your mind and see how you can share with them, how you can share the gospel with them, how you can shine your light with these people. Hopefully you did. Hopefully some people came to your mind, and hopefully you acted on it. I really do hope that. Looking at Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says something. He said in Matthew um, 16, 21, see, he had just gotten done uh, uh, doing some miracles. He just fed about 4,000 people and he's with his disciples and he said, you guys, I got to go. The Bible says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, from the chief priests, from the scribes and be killed and raised on a third day. The end was clear and he wanted them to know that, but the end wasn't that day. There was still life to live in between that time. So on that journey, in between that time, he taught more people, uh, he healed more people, more miracles happened, cast out demons, he ate, he broke bread with people, he lived life with people. He did it often with very clear words and clear intentions. So clarity is what I'm talking about here. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus step on the scene and he says, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn around. <laughs> Stop. The kingdom is here. Repent. Very clear. Very, very clear words. In John 8, his light was shining with the woman who was caught in adultery. 
the people around, they were ready to murder her, ready to stone her because she broke the law. Adultery is adultery. It, it, it was fact. It happened. They said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. The law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they asked him this to trap him. So he stooped down and started riding in the ground. They kept asking him. So he stood up. He said, the one that is without sin, throw a stone at her. Then he, he knew he dropped a bond on him. So he just kind of stooped down again, started riding in the ground again. And when they heard it, they left. They left one by one. Why? Because they knew none of them were without sin. So only one was left with the woman, and that's Jesus. So he stood up. He said, woman, where, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. He said, okay, well, then neither do I condemn you. So go, and from here on out, sin no more. I use that story because he doesn't excuse her adultery. He's very clear to her, stop sinning, stop that. But he had compassion on her. He realized that it was more than just you broke the law, you have to die, which is crazy to me. It sounds sad. Um, he said, your life means more. There's more to live here, so I'm going to have compassion on you and show you something. All right? He didn't excuse it, but he did show compassion. Sometimes sharing the gospel is compassionate. We can be clear, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we need to be compassionate as well in seeing the person, not just the sin. In Mark 10, his light was shining bright when this rich young man came to him. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus listed the commandments to him, and the man was like, okay, I've kept the law from when I was a child, I've kept the whole law. Jesus knew there was something else, though, right? So he says, okay, that's good. Now go back, sell everything you have, and follow me. The man couldn't do it. The Bible says the man was greatly distressed, and he walked away. Jesus said, get rid of every other idol in your life and come into a relationship with me. He couldn't do it, though. But it was true, right? The gospel in this instance, this was a hard truth that Jesus had to give to this man that he just couldn't, ah, you know, like he just couldn't, couldn't keep it. And he knew it, but it was necessary. I bring that point up because I believe we have to be not just clear, not just compassionate, but always have to be very truthful when we're sharing the gospel. They're all there because of our connection with the Father. Right? Shining, Jesus shined his light with compassion. He shined his light with truth. Both exist. In the, in the U.S., there's um, it's a sad game that gets played out here, you know, where you're either on one side or the other socially and, and politically and in, in our society, right? You're either on one, generally, people are on one side or the other. I think Jesus, I don't think, Jesus gives examples of how to uphold truth and order, and at the same time, showing compassion and dignity to people. See, the life of a Jesus follower doesn't fit inside any man-made structure at all, right? Um, 
the religious leaders of that time, they didn't get it. They couldn't understand it because they wanted it into their, in their circle, in that structure. Today, people don't get it. <laughs> we want it into our, our boxes and in our structures. I think my, even me, myself, I can say these words, but when I, when I think back, I'm like, oh, man, I miss that. Sometimes I don't get it. Sometimes I don't get it. But I love that I can look back into the Bible. I love that I can see the light of Christ shining in various circumstances, like the three of these that I just showed, and um, how he can just share with the unbelieving world. There's nuance in life, you guys, a lot of nuance in life, and I think that Christ shows us that we cannot just broad brush our intentions with people, right? We can't lump them into categories. Nuances, I think, can be recognized when we spend time abiding with the Father and connecting with our family. Like I see right now in the crowd and I see people, different people, <laughs> different lives, different socioeconomic statuses, right? Different cultures, different hairstyles, different everything. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Why? Because when we connect, I learn something about you. I learn something about you. I learn something about you. And then when I go outside and I see people, I don't have to have a preconceived notion about whatever that person may be or may be saying to me or may be about. I can, oh, hold on, I have a friend. <laughs> I have a family member. I have a person in my church. You know, let me give you some grace. Let me be patient here. Or you know what, let me just talk to you and see what's going on. Let me have compassion to hear you, hear your story. Let me know what you're about. I love being able to see so many different people and have a relationship with different people so that when I go into the world, I can see the world and love the world. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Our light shines brightest when we invest time in abiding and connecting. That's, that's really the point right there. Our light will shine brightest. We can share the gospel best when we spend time abiding in the Father and connecting with our brothers and sisters. This is Jesus, though, right? This is Jesus. It was him since he was a child. In Luke chapter 2, uh, the Bible tells a story of his parents coming down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Um, festival's over. They get up. They pack up. Them and all their family, they leave. They go back to Nazareth. When they get to Nazareth, I don't remember how many, I think it's like a three-day journey or something like that. They get to Nazareth, and Joseph is like, hey, where's, where's young Jesus? He's, he's not here. You know, hey, Mary, where's your son? You call them your son when they're in trouble always. So he said, Mary, where's your son? Blah, 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 blah. And um, like, whoa, we don't know. So what do they do? They go back to Jerusalem. And where do they find him? Anybody know? In the temple, talking to the teachers, asking questions, answering questions. Mary gets there. Mary says, um, well, this is my translation. Uh, <laughs> Mary was like, hey, little boy, what are you doing? Why aren't you with us? Why weren't you in the caravan traveling back with us? This is scary. You are not with your family, 12-year-old boy. What's the problem? 12-year-old Jesus says, oh, my bad mother. Didn't you know I would be in my father's house doing what I'm called to do? Jesus can say that because he was Jesus, but if my kids did, that'd be a problem. Um, <laughs> but he was in his father's house doing what? The things of his father the interests of his father, being among his father's people, always, always, Jesus was always among his people. So I do what I'm called to do with what he said. Where I am is where my light is going to shine, is what I heard right there. 
It's clear. Early age, Jesus was always going to do what he was called to do. But again, he's not me, and Jesus isn't you. See, in my case, Jesus wasn't a uh, 36, about to be 37 at the end of this month. Shout out to me. Um, Whoop. No, I'm playing. I'm not that vain, you guys. Sometimes I am, but it's okay. So he's not a married man with six kids, right, waking up at 4.30 in the morning to go work a full day of work and then pick up a six-year-old or six-grader from school and then go home and do homework with other elementary school kids. If you have ever done homework with your children, sometimes it is a struggle. And not just the knowledge of it. Sometimes the kids, they just... I don't know. I don't know if they get it. I don't know if they're trying you. I don't know what it is. But um, the Bible should have like Acts 29, how thou shalt do homework with your kids. Because I struggle. Patience gets, never mind, I'm sorry. There are challenges in life that we have, right, that I think Jesus didn't have because he wasn't a married man. He wasn't taking care of his wife and his kids and this and that. He was 100% focused. However, if he did, I think he would have. I think he still would have did what he was called to do in his home and in the world, right? I don't think it's absurd to use him in, in situations like this because, or to use him as an example because he still is our perfect human example of how we are to live, right? Sure, we have to make adjustments based on our lives, but we can always look to Jesus for the example. At home and in the workplace, how we shine our lights. I want to bring a couple people up here um, to talk about that very thing. So, um, Ellie, Chris, Maria, and Jason, come on up here, please, and um, let's chit chat for a minute. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Josh Miller, everybody. Welcome. Thank you guys for coming up here. I did send them a couple questions beforehand because as organic as I wanted this to be, I didn't want any surprises because you know, some, people, some people get nervous when they're talking in front of people. So if I could ease that in any way, I'd like to try. So thank you for coming up here and um, being with me. Going to grab a mic real quick just so you guys have another mic. There it is. Thank you, Brandon. Y'all can clap for Brandon. He's a good dude, man. Okay. So real quick, just tell us. First question is, what do you do, right? And why do you like to do what you do? So just tell us your name, and then we'll just go down the line here, and um, and then what do you do, and and why. So my name is Chris. Uh, I was a teacher. I taught eighth grade math, uh, but now I work as a program facilitator for a program called World of Work. Uh, and why I like what I do is because I get the opportunity to help train teachers and uh, write curriculum, particularly around um, showing students that they are uniquely and beautifully created and that they have unique strengths, interests, and values and that there is a place for them in the world. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. My name is Ellie. And I'm a teacher. I teach chemistry at Garfield High School, um, just a couple blocks that way. And um, why I do what I do has evolved um, from kind of thinking, hey, teaching, I think I could be good at that, <laughs> to um, 
my eyes have been opened to the needs that are just right outside our door um, in the homes that surround this area. And um, I love just being able to put myself in a position where I can help. There we go. My name is Maria Keckler, and uh, I work at San Diego State University. Oh, I am the director of presidential communications, which means that I, uh, I am the speechwriter to the president and also coordinate and direct all uh, presidential communications. I right. uh, did not choose or even think that there was such a career. I hmm. uh, really enjoy it because I am good at it, and I can see how God has prepared me to be in that role through a lot of my education, preparation, and my ability to translate people's ideas into simple uh, language. And so I am grateful that God has given me the gift and the ability and the open doors to be able to step into that role. And, um, and to have uh, a platform where I can uh, shine a light through my life. Amen. My name is Jason Shanley, and I am a fire captain with San Diego Fire Rescue Department for 19 years. And uh, I'm also in charge of recruitment. Um, I don't even know how I ended up there. Somebody said there was a job, and was there anybody silly enough to do it? And, of course, I was, so I did it. And uh, here I am. But my passion is uh, a nonprofit that I'm starting right now called Building Justice that houses a program called Homework that helps formerly incarcerated women and men get connected to union jobs, middle class jobs to help restore dignity uh, to their lives and to give them a family and the support that they need to be able to reenter into our community um, with, um, with support. So that's my passion. And I do it because Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And he said, well, where, when were you ever naked or thirsty or homeless or whatever? And he said, whenever you do it for the least of them, you've done it for me. And so I believe that if you want to know where God is, go to the least of them. And that's where he is. That's why I do it. Thank you. So um, the second question. We'll just go down the same order as well. The second question is... Um, how can or how do you let your light shine in the space that you're in? All right, because we're all somewhere, like we said earlier. We're all somewhere. We have different jobs, different everything. We're all somewhere. How do you let your light shine in the space that you're in? So this is my first year not working with kids, and I've been pleasantly surprised to learn that kids and adults have the exact same needs. So even though I'm working in office space, I, I can show and, and shine my light just the same way that I would in the classroom, just by sharing the burdens of the people that I work with and really just trying to come in with a servant mindset every day and just try and see where is the need and how can I help lift the burdens of my coworkers. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's just putting myself in a position where I'm accessible to students that have a lot of needs. Um, yeah, again, I will just say, like, when I wasn't in the classroom, um, I didn't know. I had no idea, like, the systematic, rampant brokenness that um, my kids face every day. And so, for me, um, just being somebody that loves them and telling them that I love them, um, and also teaching chemistry specifically in science opens up a lot of really amazing discussions about the origin of the universe and 
So in that way, students have become really aware of um, my worldview on those things, and we've just had some really good discussions. Um, and so I guess just, yeah, making myself a vessel and then committing the time to, to praying for that and um, saying, okay, Lord, like today, where am I going to, you know, who can I talk to? What, where can you use me? Um, and it's all the Lord. It's, it's not me. But, um, yeah, just, yeah. I, and for my coworkers, too. You know, it's not just my students that I'm with. Um, having these conversations with my coworkers and just loving, loving my coworkers and yeah. So hold on one second. I think yeah. I have a follow up. I didn't ask, think to ask you this before, but it just came to my mind. Please pause one second. Um, <laughs> where you work though, do you have any fears with um, shining your lights? Right, you're, you're you're both in public schools or in public school system. Do you have any fear of um, sharing the gospel there? I mean, yes, to a certain extent, there should be separation, or there's supposed to be separation between church and state, and I think that we can do it in a way that's really thoughtful, but I think that, that if you pray for that foothold, you know, God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. Amen. If you really prepare yourself and pray, um, Lord, just present ways for me to share the gospel today, God's going to work through you, and God's going to use you as a mouthpiece to be able to go into whatever environment you're in and really share the truth and speak the truth. Yes. Amen. Amen. Um, he says no. I say yes. <laughs> I am good. fearful sometimes. <laughs> um, and but I, again, with that, I think that if my ult, what's my ultimate fear in sharing the gospel that I lose my job probably. But with that, like knowing that God is so much bigger, and if I do lose my job, like He's still going to provide, and knowing that like you're faithful in doing what He's called you to do. Um, so, yes, I, I am fearful sometimes, and I mean, kids, but kids ask me point blank, are you a Christian? So, you know, I get, I get asked those questions, or Ms. D. Ross, you're like super Christian, right? <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I got from a student the other day. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> um, but I just think that there are fears, but God is our fortress. Um, and I just read Psalm 91, and it just talks about all the ways that he protects us, and he's our shield and our fortress. And so trusting in the Lord, knowing there's good works in advance for us to do, and then believing that God is going to carry you through whatever comes. Um, yeah. Thank you. That was very good, both of you. So I asked the same question, and I'm going to give the same follow-up. So yeah, how, how can do you shine your light where you're at? So one of the advantages of growing older and uh, hitting new decade milestones is that you've gone through more struggles, more challenges, more failures, and get to see God's faithfulness through it. So the fear gets less and less and less. Uh, and so what I, I was thinking of the verse that has been an inspiration because one of the fears that I feel that God has healed me from is what are people going to say? What are people going to think? I literally don't care what people say or think, which is wonderful as I am a 50-something-year-old woman. <laughs> you don't look a day over 30. <laughs> but um, 
I used, I, I remember as a new Christian going to evangelism class, how to evangelize, how to share the gospel. And those classes actually gave me more fear. This is just me. This is Maria. This may be perfect for you. Uh, I don't know. If, I think somebody may be teaching an evangelism class. So. <laughs> but, and the reason is because they would give me all the different ways that I could share the gospel, talk about Jesus. And what I found for me is that I was so much in my head that I needed to be a little bit more like my husband, who's literally never in his head. He's just dust. (laughs) But I had to unlearn, you know, kind of getting out of my head. And I just had to figure out how to just be me, you know, what, you know, how did God make me and how can I do me? And what I found is this scripture in Revelation 12 that says, they triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I learned that as a writer, as a storyteller, telling my testimony is a lot easier, and that's what has helped me shine my light. So there's two specific ways that I have been able to do it lately. One of them is I, I tell people about my friends, and I bring them around my friends. One example is I am a board member for the David's Heart Foundation, and so I just figure that... <laughs> I love uh, talking about David's harp everywhere I go, and I love introducing people to Brandon. It's such a double win because they get to hear about a wonderful organization, but also I figure if I can just get people about Brandon, he's going to tell them all about Jesus. (laughs) So it's been wonderful. Uh, So at San Diego State, I have an opportunity. It's a secular school. Uh, It is... uh, you know, it's hard to talk about my faith many times, but I talk about David's Harp. And so I've had people that have come to met the David's Harp Foundation. And then uh, the director of the Career Center, he met Brandon, and he was so impressed with him and the organization. Uh, He's not a Christian. He, you know, has a totally different worldview, but he loves... The, the work that David's Harp does, and he invited him to be the keynote speaker for one of our career services. And it was just such a wonderful way to, uh, to do it in such a natural way. The other one, I, um, I met with a young woman who wanted to ask me if I would mentor her. And in, as part of the conversation, she said, you know, what happens when people are negative around you or they bring you down or they criticize you? And I said, well, if you know who you are and you know what your true north is, you will always bounce back. And that's it. I stopped. And she said, can you, can you share what is your true north? And very naturally, I said, my true north is knowing that God loves me and that Jesus Christ is my hope. I just said that. And so instead of trying to, uh, to create an opportunity for me to, inter- in, you know, instead of me being in my head and trying to manipulate circumstances and opportunities, I am trying to just be me. 
Um, I talk about my brother. Oh, my brother, who's a pastor, he's always telling me this. So people know who I am, and I know that I want to be known for loving God and loving people. And I think that if I can emulate that in every, in every way, uh, people will be drawn to me, and they will eventually ask me questions that give me that opportunity. Uh, well, I'm, I am really shy, so it's tough for me to uh, let my light shine. My dimmer switch has always turned way down. Uh, psych. <laughs> no, uh, so I, I think, um, I mean, honestly, if I'm just being real with you, like a lot of my boldness came from me dealing with depression. Came from me dealing with depression. Uh, I just got to a point where I was like, I just don't even care. Like, what, like, what are you going to do? Like, the worst thing that could, I mean, you know, my mother passed away. I held her hand while she took her last breath. We've had family issues and stuff. Like, what could you do to me? Like, what are you going to do to me? Like, I mean, I, I have so much to give, but it only translates to worth if it's in Christ. The, the, what I have to offer to other people, I don't have a whole lot of... So for me, I think that's, if I'm being honest, like that's what fuels my courage to be able to talk about what I believe in. And so I'm a captain. And so at the fire station, um, and I'm not, I don't say that as like I'm reckless. What I'm saying is to maybe somebody out here that's dealing with depression, like God knows, and it's okay. Like God causes all things to work together for good. I don't know how, but he does. And so be encouraged. Um, and you couldn't see from the way that I behave normally that there's things going on, but that's just the way that God has been dealing with my heart. So be encouraged uh, in your depression. God sees you. Um, but so as a captain, it's my job to like lead the crew. I set the tone when we go to the station. That's why I wanted to be a boss because I want to do what I want to do during the day, but I make my crew my priority. And I invest in the folks by talking to them and finding out what their life is like. And I care about their families and how are you and what's going on with you? What do you need from me? Can I give you? And I'm, I like to try to be resourceful. So if there's things that they need, I try to help them and I try to intentionally connect them. Like what Maria said, I try to connect them with folks like Brandon or, you know, folks like Angela or like I've reached out to Amanda and the same, I mean, and Rosie and other folks that are in my wife to try to connect them with other people to help meet their needs. And they know I'm a Christian. And so, so um, I used to get teased a lot. I don't know if any of you guys are like that at work. You get teased. Any of you all are like that. You get teased for being the Christian person or whatever. But what I found is that uh, when people's life starts blowing up, who do they come see? Who do they come see? Right? And I know that. And we should know that. Be encouraged. I know. I also don't believe in separating the sacred from the secular. So I'm always a Christian, no matter what. And I'm unapologetic. And it's like, whatever, dude. But I've also realized that Christianity is not a domineering religion. Like, this is, like, we're not, we're not conquerors. Like, we don't go in to conquer people and take their lives over and force them to believe what we believe. So it's, it's organic for me. Um, so, for instance, uh, part of the way I may share the gospel is I'll say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? Sessie. Hey, Sessie, how you doing? I'm Jason. We only got about 10 seconds in real life. Say the bus is coming. So, like... Where are you from? Mexicali. Mexicali? Oh, okay. How long you been in San Diego? 
40 years? Okay, you don't look like you could have been anywhere for 40 years. Good for you. Hey, so, I, so since you're not from around here, I think you're going to need one of these. So, and that's a gospel track. And so I just shared the gospel with her in a sense, built relationships, said hello to her, made a relationship with her. And I do things like that at work. Um, and uh, the other way that I do it is uh, as, as a, I've been doing prison ministry for about 15 years and going into the prison and um, getting to go into the chapel with the men. And they're super hard. They're super hard. And they stand there like all tough, like, you know what I mean? And he's like real legit killers or whatever. Right. And I say, but when we get into the chapel, I get them into the chapel room and, you know, and they, yeah, that, that's where they, when the tears come out that they sad because their grandparents have gone and they realize that they've messed up and I just let them be themselves and I let them talk however they're going to talk. I let them swear. I let them say whatever they're going to say. Wherever your heart is at the moment, it's okay. God sees you. It's fine. It's fine. I can't tell you how many times I've walked past the, we go to the secure housing unit called the shoe where everybody's locked up for any number of behavior issues or whatever it is and they're down there and all they got on is underwear and a t-shirt they have nothing else um, and they're locked in there 23 hours a day and they're devastated and going through all kinds of mental things and you'd be surprised how much a Christmas card means to somebody that's been in the shoe for 18 months two years three years without any human touch you walk by the windows and and you say hey how you doing man what's going on I'm all right hey can I pray for you about anything nah I'm cool I got a Christmas card. You want one? Yeah, man, let me get one. Why? Because what they're presenting on the outside is not really what's on the inside. And last thing I'll say is Romans 1.16 really kind of sums it up. I realize that I don't have to save anybody. I don't have to save anybody. I just got to live my life. The Bible says my job is to let my light shine among men. So when they see me, they'll see the Father. And Romans 1.16 says the power of God to salvation is the gospel. And so I realize that no matter how antagonistic somebody might be, uh, Jesus has already answered in John 3 when he was telling Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus came to him and said, you know, teacher, we know that you're somebody sent from God because nobody could do the things you're doing unless you're sent by God. And so they go through that whole story. We all remember John 3, 16. But what about 17, 18, 19, and 20? That's the crux of John 3 where Jesus says, yeah. The ability to see, light has come into the world. The ability to see, phos, where we get the word phosphorus in Greek, to light up. The ability to see has come into the world. But men love their darkness rather than the light. And they don't want to come to the light for fear that their evil deeds may be exposed. And so I don't have, all I have is the gospel. That's all I have from somebody. And so I realize if we're talking, somebody may be super antagonistic and hate, act like they hate what I'm saying. And I don't even worry about that anymore. It's like, man, that's God's job to figure out how to navigate the gospel through a person's heart and make it make sense. And that's why he took the ability for us to fight with each other, to say, I want to be the one that waters or I want to be the one that plants. And, and the scripture says both of us are the same. The one who plants and the one who waters are the exact same in value. It's God that gives the increase. So I don't know in that relationship whether or not I'm talking to somebody, planting a seed, or I'm watering it, it doesn't matter. I just try to live my life every single day and be open and be honest about where I am, and somehow God uses it. So I don't know if that makes Amen. sense, but that's my life. It's going to take the microphone away from uh, this guy over here. No, thank you, man. Thank you. Um, my last question you guys have kind of already answered it in what you just said, but it was going to be, or it is, how have your experiences in life, right? Because everyone here is at least 20 years old, right? So you've lived at least some part of life 
adult life, how has that shaped the way you share the gospel? How has that shaped the way you shine your light? For me, it uh, really stems from a lot of the struggles that I had the past couple of years in the classroom. I had over 200 students every day walking into my classroom, the majority of them coming from, from poverty and coming from really broken homes, and I struggled. Uh, I struggled really bad. Um, but it's really a testament to the power of the Holy Spirit and just to the power of prayer um, that he sustained me through those times and really just made me believe and see what is possible in him and through him. Um, so any, any hardship that, that students are facing, any hardship that you're facing, um, you know, nothing is too great for the Holy Spirit to overcome. And it really opened up my eyes to having that quantity of students coming into my classroom every day and saying, I need to fix everything. I need to be the person that goes in and saves these kids, but that's not the truth. Um, it's the Lord. The Lord can go in and the Lord can save them. The Lord can bless you and use you by helping them in whatever time of need they might be in. Um, I think for me, um, I think I kind of already touched on it a little bit, but just in my life, um, yes, I've had, I mean, I think, you know, this is a broken world, so we've all had things that we've gone through, we've had struggles, but um, kind of looking at the lives of my students and just turning that back to gratitude to God for um, placing me where he did and in terms of the family that I was born into and um, just the help that I had along the way. Like, not everybody has that, and most of my students don't have that, which is why they are there. Um, Garfield is a continuation high school, so it's we get students, we get a lot of students that are just coming out of juvenile hall, haven't been in school for a long time, and then we get students that just haven't attended school, and so their GPAs are really low because they can't get there, or um, you know they can't, they don't have money to get a bus pass to get to school. So things like that, where I can't say, oh, I know, I know, because I've had that experience. Um, but I think that it's shaping me and changing me, just to what you said earlier, Angelo, of like sometimes the gospel is just having compassion on somebody and being an ear to listen. And they have a lot to say. Um, so putting myself to where I can just say, I can read the room and say, we're not going to do this lesson today because can't, we can't handle that today as a class because <laughs> um, there's just so much heaviness sometimes. Um, so it looks, it looks different all the time, but in terms of just my experiences... Um, I think those are still developing um, because I'm experiencing a lot of this brokenness for the first time where my eyes are just open and it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. I, I mean, I come home some days just like, I don't know, I don't know how to help them. But it just, it just, I'm so thankful that I have Jesus and that I can say, Jesus can help them <laughs> because if it was just me and I didn't have that hope, it would feel so hopeless. Um, so, yeah, I'm thankful. Um, the scripture says that uh, God has encouraged me so that I can encourage others. And um, very similar, uh, all the struggles that we've gone through ha now gives me and Sam an opportunity to bless others. Um, part of our story is we had a very, uh, very difficult start in our marriage that lasted for a number of years. And um, now that we're 
that were through that and we've overcome many things, God has allowed us to help others. So we, you know, we love mentoring couples through their struggles in their marriage. Uh, I love mentoring women who are where I was and now they want to, you know, to learn from what I've learned. And for me, it's a privilege to do that, not only for believers, but also non-believers and trusting that through that conversation, through that mentorship, God will cast a light and give clarity where clarity is needed. So I am grateful. Now I can, you know, even the struggles that I face today, I have learned to say, thank you, Lord, that you have given me this struggle so that I can then use it to encourage others as they see me or as I share how you help me overcome them. So um, just briefly, yeah, I said it before, the things that I've been through in my life have shown me that God is so faithful and is unbelievable. Um, I have been overwhelmed by the way God has shown up in my life. I have literally been in a place where I had no clue how I was going to do it. Like even jumping off a bridge wouldn't have satisfied the pain that I felt. It just I had literally nowhere to go. And God has been extremely faithful. And the way that I utilize that is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. How? Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so I just am mindful of the way God comforted me, the way that he utilized other people and to try to create those opportunities to use that same model for somebody else because crisis is normal to life. And I'll, so um, anyway, that's it. That's how I do it. Jason Shanley, Maria Keckler. Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. It's my homegirl and Big Chris. Thank you all for coming up here. Thank you all for talking with us. Thank you, thank you guys so much again. Um, we're almost done. We're almost done. But that was good. I actually really enjoyed. Uh, I don't know what their answers would have been, but I did give them the questions first. I'm happy they answered the way they did. Um, what's super cool to me is that they're here. They're, they're us. You know, this. I didn't get a, uh, a quote from some famous person from who knows when, who's not alive, who you've never seen, who you can't touch. I mean, you can get up today after service is over, Reach out and touch one of them and ask them some more questions. You know, right? Find out what's going on or with each other as well. So, anyways, thank you guys again uh, for sharing that. The last thing I want to say before we have, I have actually one more person I'm going to bring up here. But before I bring him up, I wanted to share one struggle that I had. Um, because sometimes sharing the gospel can be, you can be prepared. You can be ready. You can know what's coming. Like, oh, I'm about to go do this thing. But then you might not be motivated. You might just, you know, I just might not want to do it. For about four weeks or so, I knew I was going to speak today. I was preparing, ready, getting ready, getting ready, getting ready. And then this week, my motivation died. I mean, Monday, I, I was like, eh, I'll start typing and then my phone will buzz or I'll be at work doing something and people will come in and want to start talking to me. And distractions were easy at that point. Right, things that I wanted to do that maybe felt different got very easy because my motivation started to, to wane. Um, so then I started to pray. <laughs> I guess the point of what I'm saying is pray, y'all. I'm saying to pray. I started to pray. I said, God, what is going on here? I know what I need to do. I'm ready, but I'm not motivated right now. The first thing that came to my mind was, you know what? Call your wife, man. 
So that's what God told me to do. I called Amanda. Um, first things first, she has experience. She's wise. She knows what she's talking about. Her voice matters. You know what I'm saying? Especially to me. So I called her and asked her and um, prayed together. And she was like, you know, gave me some advice and kept it pushing. Next thing you know, I'm like, okay, yeah. Let me get this prayerlessness out of my system and let's, let's start making something happen. And it felt great. My point, again, this little small tiny story is that when we don't feel motivated for something sometimes, let's turn to God. Let's remove that prayerlessness from us and say, you know what, God, use me how you need to use me. Take me out of it. <laughs> remove myself from this situation so that um, you can shine, right? So that you can shine. So I want to bring one more person up here. Um, Johannes, if you can come up here. He's going to give a little bit of a, a testimony. Um, this came from last week when Manny spoke, and uh, Johannes was telling Manny about it. But we felt it would be really good if um, he shared it with everybody. So, Johannes. Hey, as we were listening to the four people earlier speaking, and even with, um, with Angelo, you know, the key word that comes to my mind is abide, right? Because in John it says, when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So it doesn't come from the work, 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 work. And then I did this, look at what I did. But as, as they were all sharing, it was out of the time spent with the Lord, then out of their mouth, they begin to speak what God has been speaking to them. They begin to act in a way in which God's been working on them. Um, I want to share this from 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2, verse 5. And the context of, of this book is that some of the Judaizers were starting to look at the apostles, like they're doing things in order to benefit themselves, whether it be financially or in some other manner. But here it says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were pleased, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. I'm the type, kind of like Ellie, where I've always been fearful of being able to share, right, with others. Unlike Jason, I really was the shy type. You know, I was always so afraid to get in front of others. I remember the first time I was asked to speak, I was just drenched in sweat afterwards. But one of the things that I learned in this journey where God has brought me is as you begin to think on him, as you begin to, as Angelo said, communicate with him as you pray and you spend time with him, then what's going to start coming out of you is really him. And in that is going to be the boldness because it's no longer you and yourself like, oh, Johannes, how are you going to look? How are you going to sound? What can you get out of this? But now it's Jesus, 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 right? But not in a forceful way and not in a way where how can I take advantage of you? And so one example is I've been thinking, all right, Lord, you know, how, how can I reach out to others in a way where it's natural, in a way where it can just be your love for them, right? How can we just love others? 
And if you know me, if you knew me in college, actually, if you knew me growing up my whole life, and even I do a good job of it now, sometimes people say, Johannes, you're like a disappearing act. Like, I can be there one moment, and like the next moment's like, where's Johannes? Where do you go? <laughs> um, but one thing that God has been doing in me is just working to, to bring me and allow others into my life. And so this past Thanksgiving had that, op- that opportunity once again, where there was a number of people who didn't have places to go. They don't have family locally. And so we were able to have a number of people over at our house. Uh, Michael, who's from New York, he joined us. He's in the military. And we had a couple other people there with us. But one of the neat things was, as I was work, as I was at work, my boss, you know, I was able to learn a little bit about him and how you know, he's divorced. Uh, he moved out to the West Coast in order to be closer to his son, his youngest son, who's actually all the way up in the Bay Area. That's closer than where he was, I guess, before. Um, but I asked him, I said, you know, do you have any place to go? You know, what are you going to be doing? And he said, oh, and he gave me kind of a canned answer. Like, oh, yeah, I've got things to do. And at that moment, it's just like, all right, the Lord is tugging at you. Just ask him, invite him over. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll invite him. So I go back to his office after having left initially. And I end up inviting him, so he came over. And then we had another family. Um, It's a Mormon family where it's a broken relationship. And now the wife has moved all the way to Utah. The, The husband lives out here. And they have this crazy commute. Once again, trying to hold everything, like make it all seem like they have it together, right? And, but we were able to have them over. Um, another one of our friends who's been running away from the Lord, and she had talked about how she had uh, a friend who's living in homosexuality, and she's like, he doesn't have a place to go. You know, can he come? Yeah, bring him over. And so we ended up having this time, you know, a mixture of believers and non-believers, but we were able to share our lives. And if you, any of you know my dad, he always wants me to talk, and I'm like, no, dad, stop. Um, and so I didn't prepare anything, of course, and, but I knew when I looked at my sister, Miriam, I'm like, Miriam, you want to share something? She's like, no. And, and I was like, all right, you know. So I look up at everyone. I said, all right, it's Thanksgiving. You know, what's one thing that we can each share that you're thankful for? And we went around the room and was able to learn in that moment what mattered to people. For some of the kids, all that matters to them was themselves. For some of the parents, it was the health of their children. For each person, it was something that was unique. And then when it got to me, I was able to share a testimony about something that God had done in an answer to prayer, right? We had a friend that was there. His wife was working in Hawaii that day, um, and he brought his daughter with him. And it was a, a couple that we had you know, spent time praying with. And we've been able to do this in our small groups as well. Going into a situation where you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but you're in a valley and you feel like everything is out of your control. And in that moment, you have no idea what to do. You don't even know how to ask God for what it is that you need. And so we had this, this little girl there. She's about a year now. Her name is Aaliyah. And I remember still the night where we were praying and her mom came and she shared with us that I'm pregnant. The doctors have found out that I'm pregnant, but they can't find the baby. And so the next time, a couple weeks later, now they found the baby, they found the heartbeat, but it's in the wrong part because it's not in the womb. It's in a tube. 
and the doctors want me to abort this child so that I don't lose my own life from the baby growing in the wrong place. Continue to pray. I remember praying, and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what to ask. This is literally how I'm praying. Lord, I don't know how to even ask, but may you intervene. Weeks go by. They found the baby. The baby is now in the womb. It's like so trippy to go through this stage where it goes from such bad news to worse news to all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you held off. And right at that moment where you're at a crossroads where you either abort but holding off just long enough and now the baby's in the right place and that girl, that little girl was there and it was their healthiest child and it was just, thank you, Lord. And we got to see it through and we were now able to share that with others. And then I ended with my son, Elijah. He's my second of five. And similar scenario. I remember the first time we saw him in the womb in the, on the little sonogram or whatever thing where you can look at, see the baby and you see as he would move his arms, you would see the lining of the stomach or the lining, the inner lining move as well. And he has this little scar to this day. It looks like a wishbone and where he was connected. And then it was a few months later that we went in. They said, I think he has a heart problem. And so we ended up spending a couple hours at UCSD with their, with their um, heart specialist looking at the valves because the flaps didn't look right and they associated it with, it looks like there must be some crazy, like some condition. And so they wanted us to take blood tests, but we're like, what's the blood test for? So we can make a decision whether to keep him or not. And we're like, who cares about, we're, we don't need the blood test because we're going to keep him no matter what. And long story short, I mean, the next time it got worse. They thought now there was a cord wrapped around, and so they started monitoring the blood flow. And in that moment, it's like, all right, Lord, it's so out of our hands. But it's all in your hands. And once again, you can see now my son, you know, he was slow to speech. Now, like we just had a recent report card thing, and the teacher told me things like how it was so crazy, the Chinese teacher. He's, he's so good. Everything's so good. She finished every sentence with, so good. He's very good. And I'm like, he's very good? Like, can you even understand? I barely understand his English. You under, you're saying he's very good at Chinese? Look at his test. I can't even say anything. I just show you. I show you. She gives me this pile, like half an inch to an inch thick, 100%, 233 out of 233 characters, right? I'm like, what? And, and in that moment, I'm just like, Lord, Right? I can't even explain it. And isn't that where God wants us? He wants to get us into the place where it's like no longer are you able to say because of what I did, because of look at all the hard work that I put in, because of how smart, because of how much money. No, none of all of that. Right? Where our lives, where we cannot explain our lives apart from him. And here's what I want to encourage you. Because if you're, if you're afraid... You know, God can do a couple things. He can bring you to the point of depression so that you just have no fear and you're going to be like, forget it. I'm just going to tell you, right? He can have you in another place. But here's another thing. As we look at the apostles' lives where they said, not only did we share the gospel with you, but we've shared our lives. So I want to encourage you to share your lives, but not in your strength, in your power, in your position or whatever, but in your moment of weakness, in your moment of weakness. Because it's in your moment of weakness that not only you, but others will get to see God's power at work in your life. 
And I had that opportunity once again this week with a couple people where I had one guy who had just come back um, after three weeks out from the office because his grandmother had died and, and he came to me and he's like, Johannes, dude, how are you doing, man? We just came out of this meeting and I see all these projects you have and how, you know, you're the contracting officer for all of these projects. And I'm like, dude, how are you doing? And in that moment, I could have said, well, you know, you know, just I manage things well and whatever. But that's not the truth. I'd be lying if that was the case. And I was able to tell him, Adam, I had one of the roughest weeks at work. When I went in for this one review and I just had my 60-page paper torn apart. And I literally came in on Monday and I was crying on the way to work. I was crying out to God on the way to work. I literally at one point was recording it on my phone because I was in tears. But I was like, Lord, and just laying it all out. And then the neat thing was while I was at work, I was able to give specific examples in my paper where God did awesome things. And then the same thing happened again this week. It was this week, Thursday, we had a new person. Can you imagine this? She's at a high position. She was demoted to a lower position. Then she got demoted again. Now she's working level amongst us. And it's this weird feeling. Anytime you go from a power of a, from a position of authority to now where you're just one of the worker bees, and everyone sees it, it's a strange place to be. And so I've been hesitant to say anything when people could hear, but I was able to ask her a question. And then I was able to share with her, you know what? Because she asked me, how are you doing? And I got to share that same story. How, you know what? I was so broken. I was literally crying on the way to work. And then she was so encouraged and you had tears at her eyes because she's in that place where she's low right now right? She's in the low valley right now. And that's where we get to step aside, step alongside, right? Just shoulder around, literally. You know, I'm, I get it. But in that moment, hey, we can pray for them, right? And that is the neatest thing, right? Where you're in that place of no longer am I get, trying to, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not in authority over you. In fact, I'm right there with you. I'm just as in much need of the Lord as you, but let me just share what God is doing and how God cares for you. And anytime, and that's where I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Before he grabs the mic from me too. You know, why do we go to the Lord in prayer? The Bible says, because he cares for you. My son, Josiah, sometimes, he, dad, but I don't even hear it. Like, he doesn't always answer me. What does he say? Tell me because I care for you. I care for you. And I shared a couple examples of the way that God has showed how much he cares for me. Start letting him know because he cares for each one of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And that's all we got, y'all. Um, for real, though, that's all we got. I do want to say, listen up, if you, um, wherever you are is where your light's going to shine. So let your light shine there. Jason is in the back. Jason uh, Shanley, he has some tracks. If you want to use those to, to break the ice and talk to somebody, go see him. He has some tracks that he can, he can give you, like that million-dollar bill and things like that. Um, if not, let's enjoy our family time together. As the, uh, in the life of a Jesus follower, we abide, <laughs> we connect, and we share. 
Be blessed, y'all. Amen. Today's message was recorded at Catalyst Church San Diego. For more information on Catalyst Church and to find out ways to connect with us, visit our website at catalystchurchsd.org. We look forward to fellowshipping with you.